What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 168. As you may have noticed, I'm not in the traditional studio because I've been affected this week. We broke the chain for the first time in Armchair Producers history. No, not really, but sort of. (laughs) Shut up, Travis. We are doing non-Christmas Christmas movies this week instead of the traditional chain movie of the week. And one of them affected me so seriously. I am now terrified of invasions at Christmas. That's right. We will be talking about the Chuck Norris masterclass Invasion USA. We will be talking about Eyes Wide Shut where me and my girlfriend, as we were watching it, every time there was a Christmas tree, we went, Christmas tree. It's that the it's one of the more fun parts of a movie, I find. It is. It definitely is. But, ladies and gentlemen, what am I doing? How could I do this to my co-host, the star of the show, Mr. Travis Croft? Your introduction is here. It is now. Welcome. Uh, may the spirit of a season be upon you, and happy Festivus. And I've got a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear about it. Um, <laughs> you're going to be glad you're in that bunker today. Right. Yeah, um, look, this this comes from an undisclosed location. No one can find me. I was going to say it does look a little bit like that bunker at the end of Terminator Three, with um, John Connor if, and Claire Danes end up. This uh, this um, uh, this beam just right. <sighs> the toys that come out of all. Um, you know, I'm not going to leave that nebulous. What kind of toys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> scandalous that's a sponsorship opportunity right there if you sell toys of any variety we'll plug them producers sponsored by sexy lamb uh, i'm not above it <laughs> um, <laughs> me neither bring it bring it free shit i'm down for that um <laughs> uh it is the christmas the first and you never know if you're lucky it could be the last uh i'm taking christmas spectacular be the last christmas show of the year it will be the christmas spectacular uh, yes. Our very first, uh, <laughs> as I posted on the Facebook page. If you're not following the Facebook page, mm-hmm. follow us at Fried Brain Productions on Facebook so you can stay up to date with all the big announcements, like this week's announcement about the Christmas Spectacular. And oh, you hear yeah. it all the time now, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yes. And it's like, and I remember I went and saw Batman Returns last year at the uh, at, a, at a theater here in Melbourne in December, mm-hmm. and they're like, that's a Christmas movie because it's set at Christmas. And I'm like, oh, yeah. well, in that case then, Yep. So uh, the two movies we're going to be talking tonight and all the rage in Christmas movies at the moment are non-Christmas Christmas movies. Yeah. Hence so we've decided to talk about them because we are nothing if we do not flow for trends uh, of what everybody else is talking is about. True. We're all about the algorithm and, and and that's why we record to our podcast where we don't rehearse or script anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, shows are meaningless. <laughs> exactly. You know, where the... Uh, it's just like what was that show? Um, What's that improv show that Drew Carey used to host? Um, oh come on, that's whose line is it anyway? Yeah, where the points don't count and nobody wins. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> it's a bit like this show where the, the movies don't count and no one listens. Um, yeah. <laughs> except the computers. We are the number one show in binary. <laughs> exactly, we have the number one show downloaded on typewriters across the former Soviet Union. It is. <laughs> yes, it may be a niche market, but it's important to be number one somewhere. Hey, they count too. And if you're selling a replacement uh, typewriter cartridges, you know, for the Moskva 2000 1991 edition, <laughs> we've cornered your audience. 
Moskva sponsor. Moskva. <laughs> but no, ladies and it's gentlemen. number one for typewriters in Soviet Union. In Soviet Russia, typewriter types you. Typewriter rolls you out. Um, <laughs> we are going to talk about Eyes Wide Shut and yes. the aforementioned invasion USA. Um, yes. Quite but widely. We aren't just talking about old movies because I have consumed two new movies on Netflix. Troll. That's right. Troll. And the hashtag biggest movie of the millennium or whatever they want to call it. Avatar. The Way of Water. I think his tone of voice is a hint, but you have to hang around to hear what he thinks. I could, could be, be a very good actor. It could be, he could be fainting us. He could be zigging yeah. when we expect him to zag. Yeah, um, hey, 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 you gotta gotta watch the shoulders <laughs> before the jab. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a dodge. Um, uh, was a duck. I can't even remember what it was. Muhammad Ali said, you know, um, butterfly sting like a bee. Oh, like a butterfly like sting like a bee. I am in top form today. Uh, <laughs> two days well, before the end of the. Get on with the the, uh, the the meat and potatoes of the show, shall we? Should we start off with eyes wide shut? I think it'll be very much the foie gras caviar of the show if we're talking eyes wide shut. Um, for those who were uninitiated, like Michelle, who watched a little bit with me last night, um, had never heard of it, uh, well, not never, well, I don't think I'd ever heard, never, certainly never seen it. This is the final film of Stanley Kubrick, released in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously, he finished it and handed over the print to Warner Brothers four days before his death of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a famously Kubrickian uh, mm-hmm. production, apparently the world's longest shoot at the time. 400 days, days consecutive. Shooting. Most yes. of them are about, about, I would guess, 40 to 60 kind of is mm-hmm. probably about what you'd have in actual photography, maybe a bit longer for you know something a bit bigger, but 400 is insane. Oh, yeah. A year of pre-production. Yeah. Um, Everyone in the film talks like a Kubrick character. Um, yeah. And the whole thing was shot in England. So yes, despite the fact it's set in New York, and there are set many, many streets of shots of um, Tom Cruise wandering the streets of New York late at night, that is all a soundstage. Mm-hmm. A Manhattan doctor. A couple of external, official external shots. Uh, maybe some maybe some pickup shots without any characters in them. But uh, yeah. anyone with an actual actor or character in it was in... Uh, was in uh, Pinewood Studios in London. Yeah. You ever visit there? Pinewood Studios? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I did. It was, uh, it's not as impressive as you'd expect for somewhere that has been home to so many Hollywood movies. Um, and it's certainly not as um, tourist business orientated as like going to Universal Studios mm. or somewhere like that where you can go on the tours and have this great experiential time um no they don't they do nothing like that they're very british in huh oh yes oh yes Uh, if you guys suspect studios sound more exciting in our heads than they really are they are workplaces and hence Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's just big rooms that people act in i guess um and they build sets in it's probably a lot that's exciting to pretty much everyone except you know yeah outsiders anyway a manhattan doctor embarks on a bizarre night-long odyssey after his wife's admission of unfulfilled longing. As I said, directed by Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. written by Stanley Kubrick, 
mm-hmm. and Frederick Raphael, based on a book by Arthur Schnitzler called Traum Novelle. He was um, an Austrian psychologist or something, I think, the mm. guy who wrote that. Uh, and our cast, famously, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman star as Dr. William Harford and Alice While Harford. they were still a couple. They were this still a couple. Notably yes. the movie that, according to who you believe, was the movie that broke the pair apart. Um, Scientology. Well, no, of course not. Um, <laughs> they were, look, I, I wonder if I'd seriously doubt they'd appear in a movie today if they were mm. uh, if they were offered a role. Apart from that, people you might know in it would be Sidney Pollack, uh, the film yeah. director, who we talked about uh, a few weeks ago um, when we talked about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, if I'm not mistaken. Was that his film or something else? I can't remember. Uh no, that, you're, you're getting your Sydney's mixed up. So, sorry, my bad. Yeah. Sydney Pollack, uh, best known for things like uh, The Firm, uh, yep. Tootsie, mm-hmm. uh, Three Days of a Condor, uh, yep. a well-known film director also deceased, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I don't think you know a lot of faces in this. It's uh, mainly character people. The only, the only other face that I went, oh, shit, it's him, was uh, Alan Cummings making a brief little of cameo. Of course, it's Deception. a very brief cameo. is a very, I'm assuming, gay-coded uh, yeah. hotel receptionist. Mm. Um, so I remember I saw this when it came out in mm. 1999. And as you noted, one of the more fun things about this movie is reputed to be a Christmas tree in almost every shot of a film. Mm-hmm. And I can't confirm if it's... a. It's not 100%, I don't think, but it's it, pretty I, I, think, close. I think it shouldn't be. I think the, the proviso should be every scene. Scene. Because, well, because I think there's so like sequences where they go through corridors and things like that. Yeah. Like, no, there's none. And then it opens up into a reception and then there's a, a beautifully decorated tree. And things like that. That's a yeah. shot because there's no cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, a scene slash shot, you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of Christmas trees. And one of the really fun games is there it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Uh, strangely, uh, everyone uses that same voice as well. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> as some of the char- it would have been a lot more fun if the character spoke in that voice. Um, so <laughs> when people ask me, do you like it? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and what do you remember about it? And this, what I remember about it is what everyone remembers about it is mm. the scene with the mask, the cloaks, and the nudity in the orgy scene. Mm. Um, I just don't remember ever really fully understanding what it's about. And having a watch it again last night, mm. I'm not sure I still have an answer. I still don't know if I have an answer about what it's actually about. What do you think it's about? So me and my girlfriend had a, a long conversation. We, we talked about it a couple of times after watching it. Um, and we both agreed that we actually like the movie because it doesn't try and force you to answer any questions it poses a lot of questions itself without necessarily leaving anything too open and it's essentially um one man on a night purposely making wrong decisions to kind of test the limits of where he's willing to go because the kind of the opening um uh should we say MacGuffin of the movie is this uh admission of um flights of fancy should we say that nicole kidman's um atlas had uh just over a year ago and um he uh tom cruise's character bill very stoically 
says, I know you, you wouldn't do that. And um, he cuts himself just short of saying that he wouldn't do that. And this movie is all about him making, going up to that line every time of just, am I going to do something? No. And it's, um, I was talking to to her about it and saying it was very, um, there's a line, a series of lines in um, The Devil's Advocate of all movies where Al Pacino's Lucifer-inspired character, if not Lucifer, then a devil of some description, says um, God is the ultimate tease. Uh, He says, look but don't touch. Touch but don't taste. Taste but don't swallow. Yes, Um, and that's kind of what happens here. Is he, um, he goes and one of his patients has died and uh, the daughter is in something of, a, of a, a sort of psychological break slash fever frenzy sort of thing where she starts just kissing him and saying that she loves him and they've only had like two or three conversations or something. And um, he doesn't, he pulls away from the kiss. But then next it's, a prostitute um, sort of propositioning him on the street and he goes to her um, apartment and then before anything can happen, he gets called away and is always going up to that line and every time that line is a little bit further across, a little bit further progressed than the the previous time. And how it ends, him kind of breaking down and finally doing the thing of actually communicating – um, it finally kind of clears, kind of clears his, uh, his processes. It's, it's almost like a movie about the grieving process, but the stupid thing about the movie is there's not really actually anything to grieve about because she never did anything. It was a flight of fancy. It, she never actually did anything. He's, his ego couldn't handle it. Uh, that's a good interpretation. I, um, I can, you can see that's what, I mean, this is what's great about Kubrick and mm. Michelle and I had a conversation uh, while we were watching as well. Michelle is not au fait with Stanley Kubrick's work. Mm. Um, she has seen um, Full Metal Jacket, but she unfortunately hasn't seen a lot of other stuff. Mm. And uh, sort of saying, why do, why do I think Kubrick is a genius? Because I do think Stanley Kubrick mm. was a genius. Mm. Um, aside from the fact, I think he literally was a genius. Yes. Um, like, I think he literally was, like, a genius-level intelligence, from what I understand. Yes. Unbeatable at chess, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that a film like this can be interpreted in a multitude of different ways, mm. um, your interpretation there. Another interpretation I read about was today when I was trying to figure out what the fuck this movie was actually about, um, <laughs> was it's an exp- it's a journey through Bill's sexual subconscious and the whole thing the surrealness of a film the fact that Mm. it's on these sets the fact that it can be sort of seen as being a little bit dreamlike uh is is our exploration of him exploring his subconscious those sexual fantasies the idea of a menage a trois with the two models Mm. and the at the party the idea of sleeping with a prostitute Mm. Um, sleeping with a teenager, being Lily Sovieski. There's another face we didn't rem- you didn't mm. mention. Um, yeah, these are all sort of sexual fantasies, and and the idea, the thing that the thing that terrifies him, and most the greatest fears he seemed to have, uh, the idea of disease, 
mm-hmm. being when he finds out the prostitute was HIV positive mm-hmm. and of being discovered and those mm-hmm. fantasies being being exposed and to the world. Mm-hmm. And hence that that would explain the scene of um you know the at the at the um orgy party thing mm-hmm. for closer they're like remove your clothes mm-hmm. um so and that it's sort of resolved by just basically you know coming as you sort of said coming out to his wife and sort of reigniting the sexual element of their relationship mm. um so sort of is, is almost a resolution towards the end of the film mm. um that's an interesting interpretation mm. um i kind of like it mm-hmm. but i think that's what is as i said Kubrick's films tend to lend themselves so well to being interpreted in any number of different ways. Um, if you have never seen Rune 237, um, mm. which is a, a short documentary about the, the multitude of different interpretations of The Shining. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. What a wonder. It's a, I mean, it might sound boring. Like, it's a movie about people talking about a movie. <laughs> actually if you're a movie lover like me it's it, i found it fascinating it the fact it's about the genocide of native americans it's about sex it's about subliminal advertising it's if these people oh no what you really need to do is to play the film backwards to really figure out what the film's about or you need to play the film backwards over the top of a film while it's playing forwards then you'll really get the message there are people who do this I, I love that kind of rabbit hole because it's the it, it makes you question. Wait, how did you even come to this thought of? Oh, it'll make more sense if I do it this way. Uh, my only interpretation is drugs. Um, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, Much. another interp- another interpretation of this film is it's a straight ahead erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we've talked before about them. They are not the kind of films that people don't make them anymore. No, nope. um, but in the nineties, it was all the rage. Um, uh, body of evidence, um, mm-hmm. uh, basic instinct. It all led uh, through fatal attraction and all of that stuff. So you um, want a really sexy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some sort of murdery kind of plot in there. Um, and while it's not anywhere near as violent as those films were, um, the murder in this film, but the, it certainly goes takes an interesting, very tense twist mm-hmm. when he uh, sneaks into. The uh, the orgy, uh, I call it an orgy, but um, and he's discovered, oh, yeah, um, <laughs> um, Elon Musk's kegger, um, <laughs> potentially. I don't know. Are you um, verified? <laughs> you are not wearing a blue tick on your cape. Um, eight dollars, please. Um, uh, what is it? Just for a second, what a shit show that is. Um, and we're very, very glad to be streaming on Twitter. <laughs> Hello to all our friends on Twitter. Um, so, but as you go that angle, you go straight ahead erotic thriller. It's just about a guy who has a pretty random night in New York City. And let's, if you've been in New York, you know it's the kind of place where that kind of shit can happen. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that perspective on the film because. Mm. It's just a bit weird how every woman he encounters is kind of like all over him and throwing themselves mm-hmm. at him. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel real to me. Yeah, I mean, he is. it is Tom Cruise at a point in his career where he was one of the biggest, most successful Hollywood um, properties in, in the world. Um, but still... 
he doesn't exactly present his character as this all confident thing that that kind of blase confidence does come especially when he returns to the prostitute's home um prior to finding out about the hiv he's much more ballsy and bullish in his attitude every everywhere else he's some, something somewhat understated under, under he's not mm. exactly his character in magnolia you know um, <laughs> frank i think it was named character i can't remember yeah. his surname but you know he actually got offered that role while he was on this film but um you know uh team the cunt you know team the pussy mm. or whatever it was um uh, he's not that character he is no. fairly understated you know well-dressed handsome doctor yeah. Um, you know, the, it's it's very obvious mm-hmm. that all these women are throwing themselves at him in an overtly flirtatious and sexual way, mm. in an unnaturally so way. Mm. You know, and that does to- live, live, um, kind of levy credence to the idea that it is a another like we we are shown we are told about the flight of fancy for alice's cat uh, alice at the beginning maybe this whole thing is just a flight of fancy for him and he is just fucked up in the head that it's not a simple i i meet an attractive person we have sex move on it's every time his kind of psyche his good guy psyche kind of pulls him back whether it's sort of like no we don't know each other or oh there's a phone call coming in at just the right time or this that pulls me back from that scenario and if there's obstacles unnecessary kind of almost increasingly slightly comical to a degree um you could argue that it is just a flight of fancy uh, I, I like that explanation um, mm. just because of that weird nature, sort of streamlight nature of what happens. You know, the only other film that can remind reminded me of where the way a particular gender is behaving throughout the film that doesn't make any sense is Wonder Woman 1984. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we misunderstood that film and what Patty Jenkins was going for there was more of a subconscious exploration of something of wonder woman's you know attitude towards men having lost life into this movie if we say that it's a dream and dallas it having steve having steve trevor died so we're exploring diana's subconscious desires for men to throw themselves at her in the street and be complete arrogant pricks to her Uh, Um, that would maybe explain why it was such a terrible film uh, it's just misunderstood, <laughs> goddamn you. The genius knows no bounds. And that's why Warner Brothers have said no to, to her third film, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, that was, that was, it was just weird how, and, you know, it was very noticeable. And mm. if Kubrick's doing something like that, he's talented enough to yeah. do it in an understated way. If he's doing it in an overt way, he wants you to notice that thing. Yeah. Um, so he's basically, he's got a big flashing red light. Look at this thing here because this yeah. matters. Mm. What did you um? I remember when I saw it back in the nineties. So, is this the first time you've seen it? No, uh, no, I've only maybe seen it twice before. Once when it first came out, and maybe once again. I but... remember when it first came out. I was very impressed by Tom Cruise's performance in particular, and felt it was potentially Oscar worthy. 
Uh, it wasn't. He, he didn't get nominated for this. No. Uh, I don't remember having an opinion about Nicole's performance. What was mm. um, what was your take on their performance? I liked it. This was I'm looking at Tom Cruise's uh, kind of career at this point because in 1994 he had Interview with the Vampire, which was something of a departure for him playing that Louis character. Uh, no, sorry, Lestat character where he was bolder, larger than life. He had been in The Firm, A Few Good Men, Far and Away, Days of Thunder, like very kind of very simple cookie-cutter hero or, or protagonist without any dark side. Lestat had more of that wild child character persona to him. Um, and then two years later, he started his Mission Impossible franchise. In the same year, he did Jerry Maguire. Then... Three uh, three years later, he did Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia. And then a year later, he did Mission Impossible 2 and Vanilla Sky, Minority Report. Next year, he's... I love Tom Cruise as an actor because whenever... When he invests in a production, he invests. He, he really goes for it. And you can see him acting. I think he is a better actor now than he was in 1999. I feel like some of the scenes where he's sitting there just listening and processing everything that Alice is telling him or when he's just listening to Sidney Pollock's character talking and explaining everything and um, having this exposition dump at the end of the movie. You can see what he's trying to do, but I don't think his performance at that point was nuanced enough to do it. Um, I, But kudos for him to do that because this is a very different type of movie to what he had been doing previous and i respect him for just going you know what i haven't done this opportunity to to work with a legendary um director yes (laughs) costing my marriage sure (laughs) apparently he he didn't particularly care for the character of bill or enjoy playing Mm -hmm. it but the the quote on imdb says he would have kicked himself if he passed off on the opportunity considering Kubrick died shortly afterwards. I think he yeah. certainly would have. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I agree with you. He's a better actor now than he was back then in the sense that how would we know? He doesn't do anything now that's remotely challenging. What's the last interesting thing he actually did? Like, he just does... Les Grossman. Pretty much. And that's going back, what, 15 years now? Uh, 14, 15 that years? was 2008, yeah. yeah. So... Short of that, he just does—he just does the same shit now. He just does Tom Cruise movies, and look, and yeah. you know, um, that's fine because he does Tom Cruise movies better than anybody else. Like Top Gun, I mean, we talked about that a few a uh, couple of months mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, had no business being as good as it was. I don't know if you've seen it yet. No, um, it's pretty good for what it is. Like in fairness, <laughs> he's made—he's made two films in the last five years. Yeah, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout and Top Gun Maverick. So he doesn't work much anymore. Um, so, and I'm looking for his stuff here. Rock of Ages was a choice. I, 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 I haven't seen it. I don't believe it's very good. I don't but, want to see it. <laughs> um, I think playing uh, playing in a, in a film musical was a choice, a difficult choice, yep. a different choice. But that's ten years ago now. Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been a long time since he's actually stretched himself. And yeah. I think that's why I think his work in the late, the mid to late 90s was his best work because for whatever reason, maybe it was the fact that he was just seen as 
you know, box office, you know, a box office uh, draw and, you know, mm-hmm. well, not necessarily in the same category as Bruce Willis, Schwarzenegger, still an action hero. He mm. was just a, a populist movie making. He made, you know, mm. big popular movies, um, thrillers, you know, and stuff like that, but not stuff worthy of Academy Award nominations. Yeah. Uh, and he actually taking some chances and some big chances there. Yeah. Um, you know, from, and he, I think that's his best work is Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it went downhill from the other fruit till about collateral, I guess it was also kind of good, but, um, yeah, yeah. um, but he's, been very, he's been very safe since then, which I would definitely agree with, which is, I mean, he's got, he, maybe he's just gone, you know what? Like I, he's in his fifties, he's allowed to, he can do whatever he fucking wants. Well, he's 60 now, actually. Uh, and he's, he's, uh, um, and he'd been nominated for an Oscar three times. Mm. Magnolia, Jerry Maguire, and Born on the Fourth of July, and maybe mm. he's just gone. I'm not getting one. Um, yeah, but you know, I think they'd be very sympathetic to him if he actually went out there and 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 did something mm. challenging or risky. So mm. I would love to see him do something that's outside the box for him because I know he can bring it. And people shit yeah. on him, like yeah. um, people friend of a show Shay mm. flat out won't see movies with Tom Cruise in it because he's a bit weird. Yeah, uh, and I think. Given what we've learned about Hollywood this in recent years, Harvey mm-hmm. Weinstein was just literally found guilty of rape. And fuck that guy. Don't yep. drop the soap, bitch. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe do. I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, you know, being a bit weird in Hollywood, that's probably the least of your worries. Yeah. Um, so I, I am a fan of Tom Cruise in a sense. I think he's mm-hmm. better than he gets credit for. And mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty good in this. Nicole? I don't know. She had her moments. I think the scenes with Tom was usually fairly solid, at least at mm. the start. That first scene you talked about, that mm. fight where she was prodding him about infidelity. Yeah, yeah. And then that's those two playing off each other really worked for me in mm. that scene. Mm. Probably because they well, obviously they were a couple. Maybe they had that fight. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, but- I feel like that 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 scene felt uncomfortable to watch because of the what what transpired with their relationship. But I also kind of think. Maybe that's why it was so good because they themselves were kind of actually uncovering some of their own reality of the the things because because I mean we talk talked about Tom Cruise kind of after this nineteen late nineties early two thousands push to go into unusual territory he's gone very safe whereas Nicole Kidman kind of went a bit the opposite way you know after this she did Moulin Rouge. Um, which is a massive popular film. I'm not a fan, but that's a kind of thing. The Others, which was pretty well-respected. Birthday Girl, which is an interesting, unusual British independent film. Um, and she was... The Hours was a couple of years after that, wasn't it? 2003, yeah, The Hours. She did uh, Dogville with Lars von Trier. She did Cold Mountain, The Human Stain, The Stepford Wife. She really kind of went, you know what? I'm just going to show Hollywood what I can fucking do. And well, she was, won an Academy Award in it. She won the one that Tom yeah. didn't. She got that Academy Award. Uh, and yeah. The Hours is a good film if you haven't seen it. Mm. Um, you're right. But um, I don't think her performance is that strong, especially in the back half of this film. I think the writing mm. in particular mm. is pretty bad for her, unfortunately. Mm. Um, the scene where she talks about her dream of yeah. you know, having sex with random people in public. 
And that was just really, I felt really, it almost like someone had lifted it out of a Hallmark midday movie and yeah. spiced spice it up a little bit because Hallmark wouldn't do that. But, you know, yeah. like some shitty movie you'd find on Channel 9 at, uh, at, at lunchtime on a, you know, on a Wednesday. It just didn't seem out of place in this film. It didn't. And her performance seemed, she seemed to struggle with that scene. And I'm going to give that, put that down to bad writing rather than bad acting because she's better than that. But yeah, I it it ended up feeling very melodramatic to the point of farce because the the story and the the, the whole scene was just bizarre. You know, her it's like laughing and things like that, and, and the the fact that you know the previous conversations that we've really had with her is that she's she's very sexually awoken in in her mind at the very least she um has the the very sultry dance with um with the um i can't remember what i don't it was, it was the most bizarre thing so like that that older gentleman with the auspicious accent and just saying i am i'm i'm from <laughs> i am from um eastern european country like okay that's stupid, um, but she she plays it really well. That's like it's, it's titillation going into the sort of like oh ever, ever so slightly their their faces just get a little little closer each time. There's not that kind of lean in and pause moment. It's just the space between them gets closer, and then her every time it cuts back to her, she's sitting there looking bored. She perfect final line for her in the movie of what what should we do fuck it's like yes that would that would have solved a lot <laughs> if they just had a damn good fuck <laughs> um but that particular scene her waking up you you see her laughing and you think okay she's probably having a sex dream and then just the the mania that erupts from her to as she's talking it through it's like i don't know how to feel about this and i think that's intentional i think it's intentional by kubrick because he he, um bill hasn't completely fucked everything up at that point there's uh there's still that element where you think maybe he can be salvaged he's not going to he's not going to step over that line irredeemably um and so when she kind of collapses into him and just pours her heart and soul about this honest weird horrible to hear dream um and how cruel it is the way that she wants to just laugh at him as he watches her fuck infinite amount of other people so you don't you kind of go, oh, wow, they should just fucking break up. Or should I feel sympathy for her? I don't know. This, it doesn't, it, because I think he wants us to stay questioning about what's going to happen with Bill. He is willing to sacrifice character development of Alice to, to be a tool rather than a, a person living in this world. And that speaks to, perhaps uh, um, Kubrick's attitude towards women. Uh, Women aren't well treated in this film. They are kind of depicted as sex objects. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in real life, you can look into the story of how he treated Shelley Duvall mm-hmm. during the filming of a shining. There's video of it. If you want to look it up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't think this film passes the Bechtel test. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it does? The other, t- the other part of it, the other test here, though, is mm. the real reason we're here tonight is this a Christmas movie. And I think it's maybe the most Christmassy of the two non-Christmas Christmas films we're talking tonight. But I have a working definition of a Christmas film to okay. apply. A Christmas movie is one in which the plot and characters are directly affected by the fact that it's Christmas. Not a movie that takes place at Christmas, but everything that happens can take place at any time of year with no change. Now, that is one definition of, a, of what mm-hmm. it is. It seems like a reasonable working definition here. And unfortunately, despite the masses of Christmas... Um, uh, Christmas tree invasion. And, and Christmas lights and reefs and whatever, I don't think this Christmas is particularly... a important element of this film yeah i feel like this could have happened any time any time because there's it doesn't seem like there's any particular actual reason for the party that uh sydney's character invites him to at the beginning of the movie um yes it's that the line of oh we promised a daughter that we'd take her christmas shopping like Okay, you could have just promised to take her to the zoo as well. It doesn't matter. You know? It's it's not. I don't think this actually qualifies as a as a Christmas movie. It just took place at Christmas. Unfortunately, I fear yeah. you are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. I'm glad to have gone back to it. And yes, you know, it has Christmassy elements, and it's more <laughs> Christmassy than what we should. If you're if you're good. I think it might be time to keep on trucking. Yeah, I am um, good. I think <laughs> so. On to topic number. On to our second non-Christmas Christmas movie, uh, Invasion USA. This is an action thriller martial arts Christmas classic. Mm-hmm. Um, a one-man army <laughs> comes to the rescue of the United States when a spy attempts. An invasion. Now, this is directed by the one, the only, the incomparable Joseph Zito, responsible for films like Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and Missing in Action. Uh, so, a uh, certainly a man to be mentioned in the same breath as Stanley Kubrick. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the story is written by Chuck Norris, someone called Aaron Norris, who I guess he may be a relation of Chuck. I don't know. Um, and, uh, uh, so who's the other writer here? It is James Bruner, uh, a man, uh, I'm not instantly familiar with, but, uh, the writer of things like way of a dragon, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger and the expendables too. Um, so man's oh, a, a man of quality there yep. stars, obviously the man, the myth. The legend Chuck Norris, yeah. Um, Lynch as Mikhail Rostov, who is someone you might be familiar with, he kicks around in B grade movies a little bit. Definitely reminded me of someone, but I don't know who. I'm looking back at his um filmography and it's like, oh, oh, there's a pretty much. 
Um, the, I think one of the police or FBI characters is played by a guy named Eddie Jones. Yeah. I think you'll, you'll recognize his face as one of those guys who will be like, oh, he's that guy. Um, yeah. The other name in here is like a, a, um, a drug deal goes wrong earlier in the film. Oh, yeah. Drug Billy Drago. Billy, Billy Drago. Billy Drago instantly to me, very recognizable for playing Nitty in The Untouchables. I'm not, I haven't checked yeah. yet, but I feel like he was the guy in seven. Um, one of the guys in the, um, in, in seven who, uh, just checking up on that now. No, I don't think no. him. No, he just That's looks a hell of a lot like him. But um, yeah. It, yeah, it's that other guy. There's, there's like three of them. There's this guy, there's, um, the guy who played Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. And then that other guy in seven. And it's sort of like, they just turn up and they're always oddball, weird side characters. Which one um, is it? It's, uh, this is, uh, the other name in here is Melissa Prophet. Uh, she's been in some bigger stuff. She did some Scorsese films, including Casino and Goodfellas. So if you're very eagle-eyed, she might look familiar. This is one of the stupidest movies I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And I enjoyed it. I don't it know what you mean. I, and I enjoyed it immensely. Um, <laughs> this it this scene in particular, this scene in particular right now. There's some elements of this that made me, especially the, in the beginning, it made me kind of think, oh, this is like a budget version of Commando. A little bit. I, You know, uh, I think that's probably <laughs> insulting to Commando. Stupider. <laughs> Extraordinarily stupider. So the plot for as it stands there is, is no Mikhail plot. Rostov, who we led to believe is some kind of Russian spy, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's no real scene of him doing any spy shit. He no. just sort of turns up. Yeah. Uh, and he and can travel super damn fast. He very much so. Maybe he's got a transporter. He <laughs> seems to be involved with a guy named Nico. Yeah, uh, who uh, they together are engineering some kind of mini invasion of the United States by an army, an international army of People. guys who uh, <laughs> were camo. Like we don't actually tell you like where they're from or what they do, but they're all over. It's like there's there's like people from Southeast Asia. There's Germans yep. in there because you can hear them shouting in German. Yeah, uh, early in the film, there's lots of yeah, people who I guess are supposed to be Cuban or Hispanic. Yeah, you know they're Spanish speaking from you mm-hmm. know the communist countries in you know South America mm-hmm. and the Caribbean. Um, and the, the only part of the plot that kind of makes sense is um there are about I don't know two hundred guys there they are yep. run up the beach and you're like that's not going to get you very far invading the United States. <laughs> but, but, um, uh, but they actually kind of smart how how they do it. So they they invade the United States. But the way they invade it is by they go around dressed up as cops, killing people, and basically sowing discord and mistrust mm-hmm. amongst the population. You're dressed up as cops or soldiers and start to undermine the public's belief, in, you know, faith in authority. And you're like, actually, it's one of the very few plot elements that kind of works and makes mm-hmm. sense in the film. You go, that would be a clever way to do it. Um, now, why Rostov is doing this, uh, who he's doing it for, yeah, none of these things no, makes sense. He's why is Nico doing this? Who is Nico? Who does he work for? What is the relationship between him and Rostov? 
You're asking too many questions. Don't know because it's never explained. (laughs) They're doing shit. Now, it's insinuated that Rostov has some sort of prior history with uh, Chuck Norris's character. Please, Matt Hunter. Um, And I I love the fact that the only sort of background that we have for their engagement is that um, Hunter went out to stop Rostov at some point in their past and had him at gunpoint, but wasn't allowed to kill him, even though... Just didn't kill him because he's a man of honor, damn it. Yeah. Um, But then... And then that moment... The, a kick from Chuck Norris. It stays with you for life and it gives you nightmares, man. <laughs> to the point where you are willing to go out to find him where he is wrestling crocodiles or alligators, depending on which one it is. I don't know. I can't tell. The, the alligators in, Calif- in, in the United yeah. States. Um, you're right. So, <laughs> is it, so Rostov just finds out that Hunter's still alive and sends a team in, to go out and try and kill him. You can see the scenes in the trailer here in like the, the, the airfoil boats, the, the yep. boats with the big fans on the boat. Uh, back that, was, they, that was such a thing. In it the, was. Right. It was a very Miami Vice kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they go out. Their favorite weapon is the bazooka. I think this mini army has been keeping the bazooka industry in business. Um, yep. uh, and they, they blow up his little shack. But, of course, Chuck's survives. <laughs> with the insinuated pet armadillo. Yes. Unfortunately, he didn't make another appearance because I thought his performance was stunning. Um, really <laughs> Especially when he was coming down the stairs and falling apart. And you can it. see at the start here, this is Canon Films. Yep. Canon Films makers of such classics as Masters of the Universe. Um, that Stallone film with the arm wrestling film. Was that? Over the top. top. Yeah. Um, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Mm-hmm. That was a Canon film. Um, I think <laughs> Cyborg, the, the Van Damme film, might have been one of theirs. Um, there's a great documentary about Canon Films, an Australian filmmaker made a few years ago. If you can find it, it's well worth a look. Um, so the film has stuff just happens at the start of a film. Like there's a drug deal, like we said, with uh, the guy who played Nitty from um, Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like selling drugs, buying drugs from Rostov, and it turns out they're not real drugs. And he uh, he he goes and kills the the, the drug dealer, and and he's no, uh, they, they are real drugs. The blood starts coming out of her nose, so I thought it was insinuated. Because, because he slammed her head down while ah. she was snorting. It was the Joker's pencil trick from the ah, dark yes. night, but just darker. And then he throws her out a window. <laughs> and, and I'm like, so I couldn't figure out exactly how this scene fit into the rest of the plot. Um and then the kicker for that scene is that, like, the little bellhop receptionist guy. Steals the drugs. <laughs> Steals the drugs. That's brilliant. It was it was the highlight of a scene. Um, now, you might be well asking, where do the Christmas elements come in? Well, here yeah. we go. We're seeing here, yeah. like, when, when they go and attack the, the uh, neighborhoods by, and, you know, sowing discord and uh, actually you can see they're putting out Christmas trees. It is set American suburb at Christmas time. Uh, and then later when there's an attack on a mall, you, know, you <laughs> see all the people out Christmas shopping and stuff like that. So uh, I think very early on, if we're going to use that definition of a Christmas movie, yep. uh, does uh, are the plot or characters directly affected by the fact this Christmas? I think the answer is almost certainly no. Um, 
It's disappointing. But, it's, it's, the one, it's the one time where Chuck Norris fails. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. Um, and so Matt Hunter is not killed by Rostov uh, and his crew in the airfoil boats ever. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you're, if you, please, if you're listening to the podcast later and not the live stream version of this, check out the trailer because you'll see all the cool shit in there. Yeah. Um, he decides, as, as the, the IMDb synopsis indicates, one man army declares war on Rostov to defend America's honor against the things. Um, <laughs> and basically, he goes around taking on the terrorists and killing them all, despite the fact they've got, yeah, he'll be like running. He'll be, he's not actually much of a soldier or special ops person or whatever he's supposed to be. He'll let me standing out there in the open with like Uzis and they've got machine guns. And he just, he's not even in cover, but they just happen to miss a lot. <laughs> uh, or like one scene where he's driving his car at them. And they're shooting machine guns at him. And not once does the bullet actually hit the windscreen. Like, I mean, how bad are these people? For me, I love I love it where he's just, he's just always, he always knows where they are. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's um, a bomb on the side of this bus. Just cruise on up. Hey, you left this behind. Boom. <laughs> just dumb. Dumb is the word. This is some of it. Like, I mean, Schwarzenegger, of course, in the 80s was never much of an actor, you know. You know, it's like, um, but he found his niche in those, um, you know, uh, those crappy one-liners he would deliver, you know, in um, in most of his films, you know, like, I'll be back. And what was the one he did in Commando? He had to split or, or whatever it was. Um, I, like, remember when I said I was going to kill you last? I lied. <laughs> I eat green berries for breakfast. Um, and so I'm hungry. It's I don't know, just in the work for Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. but you know it, the fact that Norris is actually native speaking American as opposed to Schwarzenegger not. Maybe it's the accent that works for Arnie, but it's just dumb. It just sounds stupid when when um, when Chuck Norris does him. He's, he's if you see him again, tell him. It's time to die. Like, could you put a little bit of pathos into that, Chuck? You know, any emotion whatsoever other than just reading it off a page. Um, no. To me, characters just don't make sense. So we have the character played by Melissa Prophet, Dali Maguire, who in this is a plucky young reporter, not oh. a plucky young advertising executive. But- and she's and they're taking pictures of you know people being killed on the beach, and she seems to be at many different locations. The terrorists are at taking yeah. pictures. I would say she's suspicious, frankly. But yeah, yeah. the fact uh, that her and Chuck Norris just happen to know, so like you know what shit's going down here, and they can they can get around pretty fucking quick. Well, he's got that truck. You know, it's American engineering. Oh um, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but so she sort of teams up with him a couple of times to. Uh, to try and take down the terrorists. So she just sort of disappears from the plot later on. Like, yeah. okay. I mean, sort of like you're sort of setting it up for maybe she'd get taken hostage by Rostov and he would have to, you know, rescue her or something like that. But no. He's a of romance. He's, he just, just disappears uh, from the story. Um, and the, the fine finale of a film takes place. They set a trap for the terrorists. And of course, the terrorists fall for. Um, at which point, you know, the National Guard turn up in tanks and have a major firefight with the uh, the terrorists. At which point, when it's over, 
all the people get over tanks and cheer. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Don't you know that's what happens? It, it, it's that easy and that clean. When a war is over, it is just celebration straight away. There's never um, decades of uh, of turmoil or problems. Clean up or anything like that. You know, hey, there could be, there it could is, be more terrorists. Everyone in the neighborhood just brings out Tupperware filled with like snacks and things like that. It's lovely. <laughs> the finale between Matt and Mc- Rostov and Hunter is... 80s action film gold <laughs> what did you did tell, please tell people what happened it's just so good i cannot because i had trouble actually watching this movie and i have not finished it Ooh. do you mind if i spoil it for you oh i think this movie spoiled itself <laughs> so basically in a in an office building because i guess that's the only location they could afford to blow up um so interestingly, those are real houses they blow up in the trailer. That was a neighborhood <laughs> that was being demolished. That's uh, where they, they spent all of their budget. Right, so they, 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 you know, they're going to expand the airport in Atlanta, so they let them blow all those houses up. Um, <laughs> they're in a, in a corridor of an office building, and they're doing one of those you know, cat and mouse things where where are they, where are they, they're hunting around for him. And uh, Matt Hunter turns up behind Rostov with a bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> And from a from a like from a um, from a distance of I would hazard a set hazard a guess of no more than I don't know three or four meters uh, shoots him uh, with a bazooka and two things happen um, one the missile bazooka thing goes off um, which apparently isn't how they work. They needed to go for a, a little while before they because arm it's, themselves. It's a rocket launcher. Um I I think we can actually we can actually share the clip here. It's on YouTube. So um God, share it. Uh we, we had some trouble with audio last week, so hopefully we don't this week, but we'll we can we can do a live commentary if we're having trouble okay. this week. Okay. Oh, look out behind you, behind you. Like a pantomime. It's fantastic. Oh, he's got nothing but death in his eyes. Look at him. Nobody makes him bleed his own blood. No, that's not his blood. He just left it on there to look cool. No. Oh, shit. That noise. It's time. <laughs> So good. It's so good. (laughs) What a badass. I love the absurdity of that. Boom, that's it. Absurdity of that. It's like, yes, we're gonna have a final final showdown inside a building in a small office. But you know what? We're gonna take this to the next level. We're gonna have both of them with bazookas. Like again, 
you know, nobody even think about this. Like you're a couple of meters away. You would blow yourself up at the same time. Quite aside from the fact that apparently they take a little while to arm, but you know, we will pay that most people do not know that. Um, anyway, uh, there is one of the more ridiculous endings to a film I've ever seen. I love it. And I enjoyed every minute of it. This film <laughs> was pure and utter trash. It made no sense. Uh, I think Christmas should consider suing Invasion USA if Canon Films weren't broke. Um, because <laughs> to besmirch the name of Christmas by having this film associated with it. Uh, I'm not sure many other holidays would recover. Um, it's <laughs> it's awful, but awfully good. Yes. Did you find it awfully good with you, the amount you got to see? Um, I found it cathartic. I'm not going to say it was awfully good, but after Eyes Wide Shut and after the nightmare that is retail Christmas, it was the perfect balm for my furios. <laughs> It's it's what Christmas had Christmas lacks really is martial arts action films. The funny thing is there are some interesting ideas buried in this movie. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there you could work with if you were an intelligent filmmaker and you wanted to make, you know, uh, an action film set maybe in today's world um, about you know. Well, I mean, the, no, the notion of of this kind of like oh yeah, getting essentially an army into the US and spreading them out and sowing discord. That is interesting. And you could actually kind of go, you know what? There's there's enough that and spreading out Amer- across America, which is a big fucking country, you could have this as a TV show. And like see how they kind of spreading and even you could even like start to build it not only sort of like the, the different cultures within the US, which every culture in the world is represented in some way, shape, or form in the US. You could also have East versus West of America, and then the middle is is stuck in the middle, and they're all against each other. <gasps> Drama. It could be really interesting. Yes, you probably wouldn't land everybody in one place, you know. Yeah. Maybe in a couple other places. So maybe coming by plane, I don't know. Um, in terms of Invasion America films, Unfortunately, as much as I enjoyed this, I would have to put this a distant second behind Red Dawn, the original, but ahead of Red Dawn, the remake. So, yes, yes, not a complete. I would agree with that. Um, So, I think, unless you've got anything else you want to say about Invasion USA, uh, that concludes the Christmas segment of the Christmas Spectacular. So, if that's what you were tuning in for, you can fuck off. Um, like, um, <laughs> we have talking... Christmas due diligence. Well, okay, I lied. Um, I do have our Christmas sponsor <gasps> up in a moment, but we're going to be uh, in a Christmas sponsor. We're going to come back and, we, and George is going to tell us about a couple of new movies mm-hmm. that you might want to think about checking out over the next few weeks if you've got some time off. And we have some thoughts on some of the uh, new release trailers as well so just to just to give you some take some something to get, take home with you tonight a little taste that's going so let's get oh, it's a time for the sponsor of the week <laughs> apparently we now have a jingle <laughs> excuse me um where that came uh, from there we go boom 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 
Warm up all your holiday activities with something new. McDonald's Holiday Chicken McNuggets. In festive 9 and 20 piece packs. Tasty chunks of chicken and two new sauces. Tang cranberry with a twist of orange. And sweet apple spiced with cinnamon. Better chime in. Before holiday McNuggets are gone. wondering eyes now appear only at Burger King. It's Cuddly Reindeer. There's Rodney, Ramona, Rhonda, and Randy. At $1.99 each, the price is just dandy. Come in and buy any large sandwich here and pay just $1.99 for your reindeer. Collect all four at a Burger King sign. Get your reindeer right now and the best food for fast times. While GE lights come in many sizes, shapes, and colors, none shine quite so brightly as those that light your holidays. The holiday lights from GE. Come on, Teddy. Enough Christmas for one day. Okay, Mom. For you. Come on, let's go to bed. To a place you'll be glad that you did. Get free. It's so much more a white store with Toys R Us Kids. Guess what we want, Jeffrey? You want Cabbage Patch Kids, and everything Cabbage Patch is at Toys R Us. We've got the most Cabbage Patch Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids World Travelers. Collect them all. The Show Pony and Kid. The whole world of Coleco's Cabbage Patch Kids at out of this world prices. It's the world Press the button. That's gonna be over his head. Point it 
And that's enough of that. But I have to ask you, Travis, this holiday season, do you have the M&M's feeling? Who doesn't? I mean, are you really participating in the spirit of a season if you don't? Uh, it is true. That is true. And if you are <laughs> suffering from your M&M's feeling, you should talk to your doctor about it first. Yes, there are now creams available for that. Yeah. Don't, don't, you shouldn't suffer in silence. There's no shame. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we'll have it. It's fine. <laughs> so you've been the busy boy. Uh, yeah. And you got out and you saw Troll. And I believe, is that online or is that in cinemas? That is online on Netflix. And Troll is an interesting one. Uh, let me just queue up the, uh, the trailer right now for you all, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. Um, so this is it's an interesting one because it's essentially... I think it's set in Norway or Denmark or Sweden. Somewhere Scandinavian. Scandinavian. And it's essentially, it's like, you know what? People don't talk enough about our country and the monsters that reside here. Everyone talks about Japan and Godzilla. It's fine. You got Mothra. You got King Kong on Skull Island. But what about us? I need to tell you the tale of the trolls and basically this is trollzilla and it's not awful it 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 does everything you kind of expect it's going to do but it's also as bad as you expect it's going to be it's kind of a cross between the roland emmerich version of godzilla with matthew broderick crossed with the Gareth Edwards version of Godzilla That's with Taylor Johnson. Pushed together and then given a European flair. Now, as you can see here, the special effects are actually kind of good. It actually works. Um, and you do get this interesting sense of scale. But everything else around it is just... Stupidly absurd. Like this sequence here, you find out the secret of I think I think that's um, under Oslo, and it's stupid. The, they tie in these fairy tales of betrayal with the troll king centuries ago, and apparently the, the, the palace or the, uh, the, the, the the kind of the figure state building of Oslo. Is positioned. They've got catacombs underneath, which has got a troll graveyard in it. Because that's it. And so as the troll is going through destroying Oslo, these guys grab the skull of the the troll king's baby to bait it. And I'm not making any of this up. So this is like Godzilla in Scandinavia. I mean, Norway to be accurate. Yes, <laughs> it is. As a Godzilla film, how does it stack up against other giant monster films? It's not bad. The thing is, I would kind of be down for seeing Troll versus Godzilla versus King Kong. I think that would be stupid. And I would enjoy it. Maybe include one of the kaijus from Pacific Rim just to make it fun. Just, just why not? Let's throw everything into this into this jambalaya. Let's just let's just put it all in. 
the thing is, it sets it up for Troll 2. Because um, one of the, the the father who's like eccentric and crazy, and he's been talking about trolls being real for years, and he's been ostracized by all the scientific community. Of course, he's proven right. And um, there's a bit where it's like, oh, how do we not know it's not a girl? And it's like, oh, it's not a blah, 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 blah. You'd know if it was. It's like, hmm. I wonder what the troll in Troll 2 is going to be. Could it be that another troll wakes up at the end of the movie and we don't even need to see it to know, ah, this one's going to be the mama and it's going to be even bigger because that's how these movies work. Yep. Tick, 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 tick. All of those. <laughs> it's so, recommend? Yeah, if you want something in the background that's stupid and you're like, Dumb monster movies? Sure. Why not? Why not? Um, it turns out Troll 2 is actually well into production, and I can share a trailer with you now. <gasps> Ooh. All right, we are going to um, pause that one and bring up Troll 2. Special effects. It's no expenses being spared. Have a nice stay. Love that move. Taking that de-aging technology and done it. They've really done it well. They look like they're hairs from the 80s, but you know. This is. See, I didn't make it up. Powers of evil are very strong here. I must leave. Look at that special effects. It's um uncanny. Puzzles don't exist. And remember. I can't see the Netflix logo. The Netflix logo must be. Oh my god! Again, in case you forgot what trailer this is for, Troll 2. So dizzy. <laughs> Kids with a sweet tooth like yours love ice cream. Delicious. And I can see what they got inspiration for. Oh, This Ewoks and Carrie Red 2 has really got the strange direction. Oh, look at that. All the stunts. Oh, that's This is a very long trailer. Out on DVD already. Um, wow. So there's that. Um, <laughs> happening, coming soon to Netflix, apparently. That's the forgotten the, to put their the logo irony, at the end. And the, the fun element of that sir, is I applaud that you trolled me. <laughs> uh, since it's all true, my head went to the same troll too. They're eating her. They're going to eat me. 
Oh my god! <laughs> the story of that film, by the way, is apparently those were American students studying in Italy where they made the film, and they just turned up to like a casting call, had no acting experience, which is hard to believe considering the quality on display. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is Troll. That is not the sequel. I am taking the piss. No. But that yes. film does exist in case you are interested. Um, that's a soft maybe from George on Troll. It, it, it's a, if you want something on in the background and occasionally it's mildly entertaining. Like there's there's a, a moment you see it in the trailer where um, this sort of like button down typical government assistant is standing next to one of the military guys and he just looks at him and goes, have you got any military experience? He goes, well, sort of. I play Call of Duty. And it's like, ah, yeah. amazing. I understand that reference. <laughs> yes. I am hip and cool. But that is all I'm going to say about Troll. You've got, not... you got, you got something to say, though, about a much bigger release. Yes. Avatar... Two, the way of water. Um, it's been a while since we have been to the the world of Pandora, and um, this is the second sequel that Jim Cameron has ever done, and this is very much a a a, a typical sequel that Jim Cameron does. You know how in Aliens there was the character Newt and she was human, left behind on colony thing and learned to survive by going feral? Meet Spider in this movie because he is too young to go into a cryopod when the sky people get forced to leave Pandora at the end of the first movie. Um, And he ends up basically choosing to not want to be human and wanted to be Navi, the native people of Pandora. And um, everyone's back for this one. That's right. All the people that died, they're back. They're back. And they are just going, oh, you know what? Yeah. So Avatar 1, that was just shy of a three-hour movie with CG, uh, CGI that was mind-blowing and 3D that was going to change cinema, which it didn't. They basically do the first movie in this one again. So it nullifies the point of the first movie. But I will tell you this. The absurdity that we all joked about of... The reason why Earthlings were on Pandora, getting unobtainium. That's right. That's what it was called. Check it up. That is gone. It's for something far more logical, something far more useful. Brain goo from Pandora whales that effectively stops aging and keeps humans alive forever. Yep. That's that's the real reason they are back on Pandora. Right. And this this movie is a technological masterpiece because there's so much underwater motion capture, which, yes, that is obviously going to be difficult. And, yes, you're probably going to have to create new cameras for that. But at the same time, this isn't a live-action movie. This is a CGI movie. Uh, It... (laughs) 
This is it's it's not a bad movie. Is the thing it's very very fucking long, but legitimately everything that happens throughout the whole thing is a rehash with younger cast members from the first one. It's like, oh, how are they going to learn to ingratiate themselves into the Navi people? Oh, that's right. The difference is they're forest people in the first movie. Now they're water people and they look different. They've got sort of like more expressed kind of almost fins on their arm, the shapes of their arms and their tails are more like fish tails and things like that. So there's, there's you know, an ecology of this world. But at the same time, it's like, I don't care. And it's a long movie and it's a pointless 3D. And there's a, there's an interview that Jim Cameron had because this one has sequences that are filmed in high frame rate because that makes the 3D and the CGI just pop and look even better. Jim Cameron was going to film the whole thing in that, but he decided no, because people are used to having films presented to them in a particular way and you don't want to mess with, uh, mess with the order. Then why are you putting fucking unnecessary 3D on this? Just so I have to give you another dollar. This is absurd cinema, ladies and gentlemen. Absurd. And anyone who says that this is the this is the way that cinema and blockbuster movies should be, no, it should not. Blockbuster movies should not be three hours and fifteen minutes, ladies and gentlemen. No, you can fit two movies in there. And Marvel, God bless them. They may have a cookie-cutter system right now, but they know how to generally keep them about the two-hour mark. And Two and a half. Yeah. They were getting long. Some of them are getting longer. They are right? getting long. I will absolutely um, pay that. But still, it's like the, the CG of this, no, it doesn't look infinitely better. Like Jim Cameron came out and was casting shade on Marvel, saying, oh, the CGI of my movie is going to make Marvel films look terrible. I'm like, doesn't really because your characters are blue they're going to look kind of stupid for everything the the underwater sequences everything about it is beautiful it is a production piece of greatness jim cameron is not a good writer let's just repeat that he is not a good writer he never has been he is all about exposition dubs the reason why we love terminator one is because it's a chase movie and it's just kyle reese exposition dumping whilst fuck tons of cool action is happening. And Jim Cameron is good at filming action, similar to Aliens, similar to Titanic. It's kind of a boring movie and then action happens and then it's, all right, we know what's going to happen. Cool. And then this, it's, all right, (sighs) you're retelling the first movie, but you're also sowing seeds for what happens next. Then yes, everyone is somehow still all connected and still operational and yeah oh that's a really convenient thing that they do of backing up people's brains and personalities to just make sure if, if you die don't worry we can we can recreate it it's okay but if they've got that technology why do they need it's something to stop you from fucking dying <sighs> that is an excellent question mm. so um, i i've always found it very interesting that um, we, for the highest grossing film of all time, it became again. Um, mm. So it is now still the highest grossing film of all time. Mm-hmm. It 
had zero impact on popular culture. Yeah. You know, like it had no lasting impact. We'd completely forgotten about this film two or three years later. Like mm. I remember originally people were like, there was this um, Pandora syndrome or something. People were depressed that the Navi didn't really exist. Um, and they were like, the, the, the poor Pandora, and they couldn't live with Pandora. And I, I remember these stories when it initially came out, but within a couple of years, it was long forgotten. Yeah. So I watched um, the second most highest grossing film of all time uh, earlier this week with Michelle, again, because it's still a fucking great movie. That would be, of course, Avengers um, Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, and the impact that film has had on popular culture is immense. Mm-hmm. Now, one might say that's because we're a more connected community now. Social media is so much more ubiquitous than it was 10 years ago even, or 13 years ago when this film came out. But mm-hmm. I just think it's because it was pure spectacle and the story was absolute trash and mm-hmm. no one cared. Like, it's mm-hmm. just well, Pocahontas in space. Yeah, dances um, with wolves in space. So um, it's really not surprising to me that they've produced an incredibly forgettable sequel because i don't think anyone was wanted this no one asked for this no one wanted another one well they got it and they're getting another one maybe maybe because apparently the opening of this film hasn't been hasn't gone as well as they had hoped the stories were it needed to grow something like what the first one grossed to make money which is insane that um jim cameron has said that he could finish it round it all off um, after the th- at the end of the third movie, if it wasn't successful, but he's mapped out for seven movies. Seven. I don't see. I don't know who this. I don't know who produced this film. But John Lauer. Um, uh, John Which which studio is it? Uh, is it um, Lightstorm? It's uh, Jim Cameron's studio production. Twentieth Century Fox. Yeah. Uh, I can't see Isn't them it? lining up to spend another 200, 300 million bucks if this film doesn't break even. Well, they're they're filming the the third and fourth film back to back, apparently. And well, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, yeah, he's Cameron. He has a lot of pull in Hollywood, but you know, um, I don't know. This film doesn't make its money back. It's going to be someone's taking a bath. Yeah, uh, and they're going to really be lining up to do another one. We've got uh, Pandora I, Land. We've got bloody tons of Pandora merchandise in the shop, and but I've only found two people. Who is like, oh, I'm so excited for the movie. It's like, okay, you gonna see it? It's like, yep. And I haven't seen them since. <laughs> and they're probably disappointed. There I, I feel like if you like the first one, what I'm feeling, you mm. really, really, really liked the first one. Mm. You're probably gonna feel the same way about this one. If yeah. you're like the vast majority of everybody else who went along and saw it, and I remember enjoying it, the first yeah. one, and going, that looked cool. I don't think it was anything special, but it was entertaining for three hours or whatever it was the first time around and going, it looked incredible and the 3D looked as good as any 3D that came before or after. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, within six months to a year, it was completely out of my memory and, mm-hmm. you know, Marvel came along and took that space in my head and I was much more interested in seeing yeah. more of that than I was any more of this and gone, yeah, it was nice, Jim. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Go back to making documentaries about the Titanic, you know. Like mm. I'm, I'm not interested in this at all after mm-hmm. a, a year or two. So, um, I, yeah. I don't know that this is a film for us. I don't no. think it. I don't. I'm not hankering for any more of this 
uh, a crappy story with a spectacular special effects. We've seen special effects, you know, we've seen special effects spectaculars are, you know, and no They're, good without a good story. Yeah. And special effects spectacles literally happen four times a year at yeah. least because we get four fucking Marvel movies a year. And it's like, okay, yep. That's it. Their CGI has been pretty average of late, but um, that's true. Uh, she Hulk, anybody? Um, but, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm talking more their their cinematic fare rather than their TV fare. Yes, um, but um, you know, it's there's there's so much lazy story writing here, and it's it's very much minimal, obvious shit. Like one of the we. You know, you you thought, you talked about um, and we sh- we showed the ending of Invasion USA with um, the 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 bazookas. Well, that reminded me of the golden rule of Dungeons Dragons, which is as soon as your wizard um, gets access to the fireball spell, you keep a good hundred and twenty foot distance away from any enemy because otherwise you're going to blow up. There is a certain inevitability in actions. And one of the inevitable things that happens in fantasy movies is if you have a character with family, there is going to be a death. And when the Sully clan has two boys and two girls, hmm, that's a lot of potential deaths that you can... Oh, yep, there we go. Yep, one of those one of those characters was definitely less fleshed out than the others for a reason. And it's well I would love to see James Cameron produce and maybe direct someone else's script that he actually goes, you know what, this is good. I am not gonna be egotistical and think that I'm better than you. They would actually he because he has got an incredible visual eye, and overall he is a better writer compared to other great visual directors like Zack Schneider, who is trash at story. But they're both people who could very easily serve having a better writer on set, and I'm even going to start putting Chris Nolan into that list as well because he's far too <clears throat> self-masturbatory in many of his ways. Um, but this is just lazy, boring, rinse and repeat storytelling. It, it sounds is... like the first one, frankly. Um, yeah, I wonder, is. The, the problem with maybe people like Cameron, it's a little bit like you mentioned Nolan in there with his uh, most recent film, um, Tenet. There's no one left to tell him. No. No. People need to hear the film in the cinema. I don't care what you think a cinema sound system should sound like. This is mm-hmm. what they do sound like. And people can't hear your film on them, Christopher. So maybe remix the audio so people can hear your movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. James, it looks credible. But can you come up with something a little bit more original and interesting than just rehashing the first one? This is yes, George please. Lucas syndrome. This yeah. is what happened with the prequels. No one could tell him he was wrong. And he yep. produced the... Um, now, revisionist uh, idea of it is not crap, but three films of utter garbage of yep. those um, prequels. And, um, yeah, ruined uh, – I mean, that's led us down the road to Disney where we are today and that. So 
people, it's a problem when you're dealing with these guys with huge reputations for the incredible, incredible work they did 20 and 30 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago, some cases, um, that nobody's, no one could tell them no. Mm. Uh, and someone needs to be able to tell James Cameron no. So hopefully, I hope this film fails uh, spectacularly, continues to fail spectacularly. And I hope that um, someone finally can tell James, look, mate, I, I, I'm really a big fan of Terminator films, but I don't want to take another bath on your Avatar shit. Uh, maybe convert them to comic books or something. Write a novel. Well, there's um, talk now that James Cameron is going to direct the next Terminator movie. And it's like, no, Terminator is dead. Leave it for 10 years. Go back and do something else with it later on. Let it be dead for a little while. It has been, it, it, is, it has had the double tap in the brain. Just let it be. I think he had something to say recently. He's backed at least two of her sequels going, oh, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, and you're like, yeah, I don't know about it. It's a bit like Kevin Smith, he comes out and says, every DC and Marvel film is fantastic and it made him cry. And you're like, I love you, Kev, I really do. But when you just complete, when you say every film's great, that means your opinion means nothing. When every movie's great, no movie is. Correct. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I am glad you've, t- you've taken one for the team. I'm probably going to see this film just out of pure and utter bloody-minded curiosity. But mm. um, I, you've helped me set my, uh, my mm. expectations to low. Yeah. Yeah, I had no interest in actually going to see this movie. I did not want to watch it. I just wanted, I just needed to, felt I needed to watch it to be able to talk about it and kind of have my fears confirmed, frankly. Anyway, let's do some, we're going to finish tonight with a couple of quick trailers. I thought it might be a fun way to get a taste of what's coming next year. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me at least, and I'm, I'm talking out of school, one of these films. I can't wait to see it. I think it's coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, I would rather forget exists. <laughs> yeah. Shall we talk with the better of the two first? The better of the two. Can you can you press play on the thing? Yes, I can. It is the finally we got a sort of trailer for Barbie. Yeah. Uh, yes, the Barbie movie is one of my most anticipated films it's, of next year. It's, it's the teaser trailer for Barbie. Uh, and the synopsis for the Barbie film is kind of genius. <laughs> um, Barbie <laughs> lives in Barbie land and then a story happens. That is a synopsis. <laughs> I am all about that. That's great. Yep. Um, so for those who don't know, this is being directed by Greta, Greta Gerwig. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing it probably wrong. Uh, she uh, wrote and directed Lady Bird. Uh, mm-hmm. She was Frances Ha. Um, uh, she's actually one of the more talented and up and coming, uh, female directors and writers who've actually got a chance. She directed Little Women in 2019, which was Academy Award nominated. And I really Uh, enjoyed that version. Uh, it's been written, uh, by Greta and Noah Baumbach, who I think she was involved with, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is, uh, someone who quite frequently works with, uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, he wrote the fantastic Mr. Fox. He mm-hmm. wrote uh, Squid and the Whale, Marriage mm-hmm. Story, Francis Ha. Um, who could forget Madagascar Free? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic with Steve Caesar. If you like that kind of thing, which I don't. 
Um, I do. <laughs> uh, he directed Margot at the wedding, that kind of thing. So he, these are uh, art house darlings. Yes. Who have he taken on a most iconic named toy movies ever. And you stop and think, how are they going to make a movie with Barbie? Yeah. Especially considering Aqua aren't involved. Um, <laughs> uh, their cast is pretty incredible. Yeah. Margot Robbie is playing Barbie. Uh, and Ryan Gosling is playing Ken, which is interesting in of itself. Will yep. Ferrell is involved. Helen Mirren. Yep. Kate McKinnon. Simu Liu. Uh, Shang-Chi for the uh, uninitiated. Mm-hmm. Um Rhea Perlman, Marco Serra, America Ferreira, Emerald Fennell. If you don't know Emerald Fennell, she played Camilla Carker Bowles in The Crown. She wrote and directed Promising Young Woman, which I think should have won the Academy Award this year. Um, Emma Mackey, if I'm not mistaken, was in um, Sex Education. Is also Jewel of the um, the back of a Christie film? Yes, yes. Stephanie um, Nile. Yeah, and she was good in that in, yes. a, in a really average film. She, she is she is a really good actress, and a lot of people have kind of commented on her similarities and looks to Margot Robbie in the past. So, um, so huge cast. Uh, and if you can see in the trailer here, what I love about this trailer is this is referencing. Speaking of Stanley Kubrick, two thousand and one, yeah. A Space yeah. Odyssey. So this is a film I assume is going to be. Targeted at Gen Z, probably. I probably. Guess. I, guess. I mean, I, um, I really don't. I, I kind of, part of me looks at this and thinks, okay, is this going to be sort of like almost Spice World level self referential? Don't know what it is, but like, so it's yeah. a 60 year old film they're referencing here. Yeah. Shot for shot, this is the bone scene thrown up in the air yeah. of Steve Babes. And like, I don't know how many people who are interested in seeing a Barbie film are familiar with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, I would argue not terribly many. Yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's a weird choice, but it just makes me so curious. To it, it makes me more curious and it makes me keen. And it says they're doing something. I'm expecting something Lego movie-ish, you know? The last yeah, toy movie that was any good. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had a couple. Battleship? Eh. <laughs> you know? Um, but I'm super keen. This is like the, the, the balls on the studio and Mattel to sign off on Greta Wig and Noah Bomback making yeah. their film is incredible. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to expect. And I like that. I like I that a lot because so many movies and their trailers, you come in and you just go, oh, okay, I know the whole movie and I know that I'm not going to be surprised in any way, shape or form. Let's just go back last week to The Dial of Destiny, for example. <laughs> so one of the actors in Barbie here is an actor named Ariana Greenblatt. Um I'm not overly familiar with her, other than the fact that she played young Gamora in Infinity War. Um, she's also going to be in our next our next trailer we're going to talk about. Ah, yes. Let me um, just go over to that one now for you. 
There we go. Here we go. From the writer, a writer, a writer of A Quiet Place. 65. Yes. An astronaut crashes, crash lands on a mysterious planet only to discover he's not alone. Now, that's an incredibly original premise that we absolutely haven't seen 5,000 times done before. No. Um, no, no, uh, no. The main attraction here seems to be it stars, of course, Adam the great Adam Driver, who, um, talking about Star Wars earlier, almost single-handedly kept that uh, the Disney uh, sequels afloat, being mm-hmm. far and away the most interesting character in those films for me anyway, as Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Ariana Glenblatt, and, and uh, I think it's a very small cast. This mm-hmm. is written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, mm-hmm. um, two names I am not familiar with, but I think they uh, both worked on The Quiet Place films. Mm-hmm. Um, at least Scott Beck did. Um, Brian Woods uh, also worked on A Quiet Place as well. So mm-hmm. uh, they haven't got a lot of us on their resumes apart from that. But this movie looks fucking stupid. Yep. It looks awful. Yep. Like, I just, he's watching his trailer, and I feel like I've seen this movie a hundred times, uh, and I liked it better when it was called After Earth, and I didn't like After Earth. <laughs> yeah, me neither. It's it like a cross between After Earth and Jurassic Park here because there are dinosaurs coming in here. Yeah. It, I, I just... They, they seem to so desperately want to always have a dinosaur-themed movie and they keep on just going more and more science fiction with the Jurassic World ones, uh, clones and all of that stuff and now this where it's... Uh, a human question mark it travels in time or maybe is the progenitor for humans on earth we don't know yet but they desperately want to mix sci-fi with dinosaurs why don't they just make a dino crisis movie a true dino crisis movie ladies and gentlemen come on then we all know that um really important thinkers on this topic have been saying for years now that um, that uh, video games are the new superhero films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Important, people have been saying it everywhere. People are saying yeah. it a lot. I've been hearing not it. Just, not just us. Not just us. People have been saying it. Uh, everyone's saying it. They've and they've got the best sayings. Um, yeah. <laughs> they've got the best words. <laughs> um, I'm not familiar with it, but I'm here. Yeah, very or yeah, wasn't there that Monster Hunter movie? They're not exactly yeah. dinosaurs, but. God, that was. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm playing uh, playing the same trailer again. I mean, different trailer. I mean, mean, oh, you wouldn't know the difference, would you? (laughs) It looks very similar, doesn't it? It really does. And I was like, is this an After Earth um, sequel? Why would you make a sequel to that trash? But um, (laughs) I really, I put it up on my Facebook, and someone said, "Oh, it looks like fun." I'm like, oh, you and I have a very, very different definition of fun. Mm. Uh, though I should note in my Facebook memories today, uh, from I think four years ago, I posted the trailer to Men in Black International and said something like, It looks like trash. And the same person who said 65 looks like fun also said, Men in Black International, that looks like fun. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm very sure he's not watching, but if you are, I'm sorry. We will not name and shame, Craig. Um, but <laughs> um, I'd say, Jess, your track record on this one mm-hmm. tells us a little bit about 65. 
And yeah. if it's anything like Men in Black International in terms of quality, yeah, it ain't a thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting how an actor like Adam Driver, who has shown that he has got incredible acting talent in so many different movies, just why 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 do why do great actors do this i I mean is it the michael kane thing of i'll never watch that movie but i will absolutely enjoy the summer house that it bought it's something like he never saw his jaws 4 wasn't it i never saw that film but i've seen the house that it bought and it's lovely yeah um it's (laughs) you know or is it the um is it the uh uh you know the the kevin smith version of when you know um jane silent bob strike back First you do the big studio movie, then you do the art movie, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's like you do the film to get the payday. But again, I have to imagine that on Driver was pretty well paid for those Star Wars films. You'd kind of hope so, at least. But, um, yeah, I'm just – I think I'm, I'm – the, the sad thing is I'm more interested in this movie than I am about any of the Avatar movies. Well, that's not saying very if, much. If this movie at least understands that it's a stupid fucking idea, it just goes, you know what? Let's just do this and have fun with that idea. Then, yes, cool. If it's if it understands how ludicrous it is, then cool. If it tries and plays this as like, no, this is we're we're seriously positing the possibility of humans going up against dinosaurs sixty-five million years ago. Oh, no. Just no. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm just not looking for, not, I, I would give me Barbie first any day of the week. Um, mm. Or potentially the new Nolan film camp, the new trailer that came out this week called Oppenheimer. But um, uh, I'm mm. not about 65 dinosaurs. I don't get the dinosaur thing. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I have no interest in that. But, ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much brings us to the end of the show this time. Uh, look at that. One minute, one hour and 42 minutes. Sprightly. Sprightly. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this non-Christmas Christmas special of Armchair Producers, episode 168. Um, we are going to be taking a wee little bit of a hiatus um, over Christmas and New Year period. We are going to aim to come back on, uh, I think, January the 18th. Will be the next I think that's a Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. I'll just double check that. But yes, because yes, we are very um, busy people. We've got signings, we've got contracts, we've got deals, we've got new sponsors. You know, we get we got we got we got business to do. Um, and that involves usually me um mm-hmm. drinking on the couch and, and watching uh the great British bake off. Um it, it, it has to be done. It someone has to do it. Done. I yes. do it so you don't audience. Yeah, and I will hopefully be able to vacate um, the bunker. Um, at, <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> but um, you know what? I've got canned food. I've got empty um, uh, jars. I can I can Howard Hughes this. I was going to say, um, you know, that we still haven't quite figured out about why 2K bug is going to be a thing. So maybe just stay put. Hey, it's, it's, it's sitting there waiting. It's, it's just thinking. <laughs> Everyone thought it was going to be the year 2000, but no. I'm a patient bug. And, and George's new reading of a Mayan calendar says it is December <laughs> this year. Remember when it was 2012? I forgot to carry the one. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing how it, often that happens, you know. It, it, it confuses people who play, um, play with taxes and things like that. It confused the Mayans. It's fine. It's fine. 
<clears throat> we do thank you very much for your company this year. For if you are a subscriber to the podcast, if you've watched mm-hmm. any of our live streams or downloaded them or potentially i don't know pirated them i don't know how you do that considering we give them away um but if you are you would love show, it if someone pirated the show <laughs> if they jumped on the pirate bay and like there we are oh my god no uh no don't give our show away for free don't give us exposure i'm quite happy with exposure um um <laughs> it reminds me of that, that great line in um uh ghostbusters too and you don't want us exposing ourselves <laughs> um uh but if you are a listener of if you listen once if you listen to all the shows we appreciate you thank you very much we don't do this for money we do it because we dig it uh mm-hmm. it's kind of fun and mm-hmm. we have nothing else to do but you know uh we really do appreciate you if you've, you've chosen yes. to spend some time with us this year thank you so much ladies and gentlemen genuinely this 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 show is one of the true highlights of, of the last few years of my life spending my my time watching movies and enjoying and talking with them with travis and getting your some of your um, inspirational recommendations and some of the torturous things yes siren divine i still haven't forgotten. i was gonna you. say it's a merry christmas to everyone except for siren divine who still owes us yes the thomas the tank engine yes she does yes she does um but on that note ladies and gentlemen thank you so much have a great christmas however you celebrate it or don't celebrate it i hope that if you are working a crappy retail job you don't have shitty customers if you are going to be a shitty customer prepare we are armed against you ladies and gentlemen we are going to be taking you down in stores on mass this is invasion australia (laughs) spies are coming that's it (laughs) <laughs> the British very much, the yes. British spies they'd be drinking tea you'd be very polite and wait in line and lose a love song. it thank you so much ladies and gentlemen and we will see you in 2023 good night